Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, once again, it is time for the Silver Bullets podcast. I'm Michael Citro, and I'm Chip Minnick. Chip, best thing about being two and zero is the opportunity to go three and zero. Yeah, very I, I enthusiastic think, yeah. Uh, response. Right, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, like I said, it it or, or like I like I wrote um, for Land Grant Holy Land in my appraisal of the game. I'm not at the panic button pushing yet i can see why some fans already are i am i am i am holding steady at that there are there's obviously substantial room for improvement and i believe ohio state will get there we just can only hope that it will show up a little bit faster because the game at south bend at the end of the month is starting to look more and more ominous yeah it's not the uh not the first two games we would have expected to see out of Ohio State. We, of course, uh, knew that there were some new parts and pieces that needed to fit together. It wasn't going to look great right out of the box, but uh, you expect quite a bit of improvement from week one to week two. I think we saw some of that, but not enough of it in some areas. I thought we saw some regression in other areas, given the fact that they're playing FCS opposition rather than, you know, division one conference opponent, you would have expected a little bit of an easier time than what Ohio state had on Saturday against Youngstown state. I would agree with that. I think the, the biggest concern that I have, and I know we'll talk about it in greater detail is it remains the offensive line. I'm not sure what to do. I, I realized that I had some ideas that I wrote about, um, in the aftermath of the game, and I'm not discounting those ideas, but I guess in hindsight, the more I think about it, I'm not sure if those ideas are, are truly practical. Like I said, we, we can get into that in greater detail. I agree with you about regression. I, I have a feeling you and I are on the same page in terms of the areas that we would that we would believe that there were areas of regression. Um, I if, if there is a positive out of this kind of a, a game is, and and I realize this is, I mean, I'm really reaching for it here, is that if anything, the, the coaching staff definitely has areas that they can point to with the team, get their attention and say, we need to get this fixed because in game one, game two, here's what we're seeing, here's what's not working. And I think that the players will be receptive to uh, trying to improve before they get further into the season. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. It was uh, 35 to seven against Youngstown state. Uh, our predictions were much higher as far mm-hmm. as Ohio state's points. Now, of course 
Ohio State lost some points in this game by Devin Brown wildly overthrowing Carnell Tate, who was wide open in the end zone. That would have uh, been a touchdown there. And then there were some other opportunities. There was the the two-minute drill at the end of the half where Marvin Harrison Jr. uncharacteristically drops a first down, and that could have led to points at the end of the first half. But Ohio State uh, wins it 35-7. We had predicted... uh, 49 to 3 in your uh your it was your prediction 56 to 7 was my prediction so we were both wildly uh overestimating that Ohio State was going to be able to push around a, a second division uh school that's not even really the they're not even the penguins of old these are these are penguins that are picked to finish middle of their conference in FCS so it, it's not even like one of those teams that you know is going to be fighting to win a national championship probably i agree uh i want to give credit though to youngstown state in comparison to indiana for the simple fact that i think that they came out maybe you disagree maybe our listeners disagree and that's fine uh i felt that youngstown state came out with a more aggressive style of play uh recognizing okay we're we're going to lose this game but we're going to we're going to play who are best to try to um, make this competitive. I thought that they did that far better than Indiana did in, in, in week one, like Indiana, basically it's like, okay, well, as long as we don't embarrass ourselves, that's all we care about. Whereas I think Youngstown mm-hmm. state coming out um, and drive, <laughs> it was surprising to say the least that they were driving down the field and scored a touchdown to make it seven, seven. Uh, that is something that in the the previous two visits by Youngstown State, like you said, you know, like these are not the Penguins of old. Uh, Ohio State under Jim Trussell was, uh, you know, like they weren't they were certainly not going to try to embarrass his previous team, but they kept Youngstown State out of the end zone. I mean, uh, Youngstown State had scored on uh, field goals, and then the one time was a shutout. So the fact that Ohio State gave up a touchdown to Youngstown State, I thought. That was surprising. So I, I I want to give some credit to Doug Phillips and his mm-hmm. coaching staff for coming out and saying, "Hey, we're we're coming down here and we're going to play hard." I don't know how how well it's going to look, but they I, I thought that they played as well as they could under the circumstances. I agree with you hundred percent. I think they came to compete. I thought Indiana came out to not get embarrassed and to just keep the score as close as they could, and that's what it looked like at the end of the day. And in, in terms of uh, how those games unfolded or Indiana was able to keep the score fairly close most of the day, but really didn't threaten, didn't even try to stretch the field or throw the ball much at all, especially when they had their running quarterback in who had a a big day this past weekend uh, against, um, you know, much lesser competition, obviously, but uh, he showed he could throw the ball this week and they wouldn't even let him try last week. So uh, Youngstown state came out and they, they said, we're going to just do what we do and see how it goes. And it went pretty well because uh, they were able to run the football, I thought, much more effectively than they should have been against that front four of Ohio State. I have serious concerns about the defensive line. Uh, you know, if you look at the overall stats, they don't look that bad. But I mean, I think Youngstown State only had three three and outs all day. And that's just not where you want to be. If you think you're going to be uh, competing for a Big Ten title and maybe a national championship, you can't be letting FCS schools only go three and out three times all day. I completely agree. And I think, I don't know if you saw it. Um, and I'm sure that there are some 
very uh, some very colorful words that are being shared with the defensive staff by Ryan Day. I don't think Ryan Day was happy in the in the post game interview that I saw uh, on Big Ten Network. He he alluded to that that mm-hmm. that that the defense uh, allowed Youngstown State, you know, to like you said, you know, they were making third down conversions to to stay on the field far too frequently. So that is a concern. I mean, because uh, the the team that is coming into Columbus this coming week, I'm not trying to to sound the alarm bells. I believe Ohio State is a substantial favorite, maybe like a 28 point favorite. I'm not the gambling type, so don't hold me to that. But mm. um, point I'm trying to make is okay. There is a team that will they will be successful on third down conversions. They will be successful moving the ball um, because they they like to throw the ball all over the field. So if I'm Ryan day, I'm sure that there's, like you said, the concern about the defensive line, about the the defense as a whole, not being able to get Youngstown state off the field. That I, I that is a major, major red flag. Now, if you're regularly able to get three yards to carry against that defense, three to four yards, if you're Youngstown state, what if you're Notre Dame or Minnesota or Michigan or Penn state, uh, better athletes, better offensive line, better runners. Um, I'm a little concerned that the defense isn't where it needs to be, but there's time. There's time to get there. They just uh, they started slow last year, and they got better as the season went on. Hopefully that will be uh, proved to be the case this year. So they, get, they take the ball first. That was the first weird thing about this game was that they won the, the coin toss and elected to receive, which is almost unheard of. And, you know, I don't blame them. They want to probably get out there right away and see if things have been fixed. Uh, they go out and get a couple nice runs from uh, Travion Henderson, but the first, the second one of those is called back for a hold that had nothing to do with where the ball was going. So uh, really soft day by the offensive line, I thought, in a lot of ways. Uh, several penalties that were costly and um, and unnecessary. Uh there was a there was Josh Simmons. Josh Simmons had two big penalties in this game. Uh, there was also a penalty on Chip Trainum for a hold that he probably didn't need to make. Um, and those things uh, are not things that you can do against good opponents. So uh, hopefully they got him out of their system. But Ohio State did manage to take the lead on that opening drive by uh, going down the field with a uh, long pass to Marvin Harrison Jr. And who knew if you had like one of the best players in college football and you got them the ball that good things would happen. Yeah, it, that was it was nice to see that Kyle McCord uh, was a little bit more um, likely to go downfield than he was in game one. Who's to say that uh, kind of, you know, the, what the kind of coverages that Indiana was presenting from what I understand, Indiana was bracketing Marvin Harrison Jr., which kind of contributed to, you know, the fact that he wasn't as targeted as frequently and Youngstown State defensively, I don't think that they could, you know, keep uh, Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, under control uh, in the same capacity. I mean, I thought Emeka Buka also had a nice game. Uh, to your point about Josh Simmons, yeah, that that's that's the problem area. Um, I I hate to sound like I'm I'm laying it completely at his feet, but like you said, the the holding penalties, uh, some of the issues. That's what led me to think maybe they need to go back and think about the, the possibility of Donovan uh, Donovan Jackson being moved out from left guard to left tackle from everything that I've heard. 
is that he is probably the most talented of the offensive linemen. But as I reflected upon it, the reality is, is if they were going to make that move, they probably should have done it in the spring. Uh, they had all of fall camp. This might be the best that they, that they've got when it comes to the offensive line configuration. So it is concerning. Uh, Josh Simmons needs to improve or they need to, the Ohio state coaching staff needs to uh, give him some help either with maybe uh, going to more two tight end sets, which obviously impacts the passing game or, you know, bringing in uh, chip training to, uh, as kind of that fullback to help on, on passing downs. Um, but they need to do something to, to help him out because this move from his right tackle spot that he played at San Diego state to left tackle. It's, it's been bumpy the first couple of weeks. Yeah. It hasn't looked that smooth and, and Ohio state's tackles are not the same size tackles that they had last year. They're a lot lighter uh, than Dewan Jones and, uh, and Paris Johnson jr. So I'm a little concerned about them holding up uh, as the season goes on. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about the concerns uh, throughout this, but seven, nothing lead. And uh, you get a chance to set the tone on defense. And instead of doing that, they do the exact opposite. A little Youngstown state just marches right down the field and ties the game seven, seven. There was a big play in there that Cam Martinez gave up in the passing game. Um, wasn't a good look for Jim Knowles defense early in this game. No, I, and I, that's kind of, I, I've spoken about this on previous podcasts and I keep, I, part of me believes that this is going to be one of these things where Ryan day. Um, I know that there's, he, he has said that he was going to give up the play calling, but then he kind of, uh, I'm not so sure about that. You know, with Brian Hartline, um, I have a feeling that especially this coming week with young, with Western Kentucky, that he's going to be a little bit more involved in the defensive meetings about what he wants and having two safeties back. Cause I, I have a feeling that that's part of the frustration that, that he showed visibly in that, in, the, in that post-game interview, the fact that Youngstown state was able to move the ball. They even talked to Jake, Butt of big 10 network even talked about it, uh, about how the Jim Knowles defense, um, the fact that there's vir- virtually no safety help that, I mean, it's, it's, opens you up for the for big play potential. And that's the last thing that, that Ohio State fans want to hear. Yeah, and, and they've shown that they haven't been able to make up for that in other areas. They haven't gotten pressure consistently on the quarterback from their front four. They were The only time they got any real pressure in this game against an FCS opponent was sending a linebacker, and they, which they did almost every play at some point in the game. It was Eichenberg was just blitzing almost every down. Um, it wasn't... Uh, wasn't what you wanted to see. And so it was seven, seven early. And, uh, you know, we we're like, <sighs> not again, <laughs> not another day like this, but, um, and, and then that even got worse because Ohio state went three and out on their next possession. Um, not, uh, not what you, not the start you expected to see. And again, Ohio state looking good on its first drive in both its opening games, but then not really playing to that level the rest of the day, both, against Indiana and at home against Youngstown State. And I can't recall when, but uh, a a mutual frustration that you and I have about um, running to the boundary side um, on short yardage um, and having it blown up and not being successful. Um, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure where this 
this idea is coming from about okay you're going to prove us wrong when the it is is plainly obvious it's, it's just not working yeah uh so there there's a lot of things that hopefully the coaching staff on both sides of the ball are seeing you know when when ohio state uh when they started going just instead of you know trying to um you know, with, with zone blocking, instead of just kind of going just straight ahead with like a, the power running game, how much more effective they started to become overpowering Youngstown State's defense. There, There's a lot of things that can be improved upon going into this game against Western Kentucky. A lot of things. I think that was on this was on one of the first few drives, but Josh Simmons, they, they tried a, a stretch play wide on third, yep. third and short. That was the play that Simmons got the holding penalty. Youngstown State took it because they figured, well, maybe Ohio State will go for the fourth and two, but not if we, you know, maybe we back them up. Um, yeah, it was it was not great. It was <laughs> it was it wasn't good. Um, it was it was frustrating. It was again, it was never a, a situation where you thought they were in danger of of you know getting upset or anything like that. It just was a lot of why doesn't this look the way it should look? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Like I, said, I mean, the the fact that Youngstown State was kind of just, I, I think so many fans um, that I saw on social media kind of, you know, lamenting, oh, these are the kind of games that, you know, in the past, Ohio State would, would blow the doors off of this opponent. The mm-hmm. fact that Ohio State wasn't able to do that, I think it kind of has led to some legitimate questions about what kind of killer instinct does the team have? I mean, I mean, maybe they don't have one, um, yeah. but they certainly need it. They certainly need it for the games <laughs> that are on the horizon because they're going to be playing against some teams that, I mean, are are much more talented and much more intense than what they have seen in, in the first two weeks of the 2023 season. Yeah. And I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to see, but I, I know that uh, it, it was particularly frustrating to see Ohio State's defensive line get pushed back at the goal line and have Youngstown State be able to run power football on them and score from one yard out. Oh, and it it certainly, like I said, I, I, I think if, if Ohio State thought that Youngstown State was going to be a pushover, perhaps that was the wake-up call that they needed because they kept them out of the end zone for the remainder of the game. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, for, for Youngstown State to be able to, to score um, relatively easily, in my, in my estimation, mm-hmm. uh, down, march down the field, score, um, like you said, you know, pretty much uncontested. Uh, I think the Ohio State defense played much better after the, the, those, opening, those opening moments. And McCord threw another touchdown pass to Marvin Harrison, 39-yarder to uh... – Closed the first quarter scoring with Ohio State leading 14-7. And that's, again, one of those games that Youngstown State was letting the clock run down to a lot like Indiana. So get out of the first quarter with a 14-7 game and you put that on the scoreboard around the country. People go, ooh, <laughs> that's the sound they make, the whole stadium all at once. Um, but uh, Ohio State was able to pull away a little bit. And um, it was... Uh, Again, there were there were too many miscues, too many mistakes, but you know, having to settle for field goals. There was a, a an uncalled pass interference in the end zone against Marlon oh, Harrison yeah. Jr. None of that was fun to watch, um, but it all uh, 
it all worked out okay. In the second quarter, uh, Travion Henderson uh, ran it in from 13 yards out. This is after he ran it in from 17 yards out, but it was called back on Josh Simmons' uh, hands to the face. Uh, second major penalty for uh, the left tackle on the day. Uh, Henderson, to me, in this game, and I thought they probably didn't use him enough, his burst is absolutely back. He looks about 10 times faster than last year. He does He does have the burst. Uh, I, I'm not sure how much longer they're going to maintain this running back by committee approach. I'm not, I'm not necessarily against it. I'm I'm not necessarily for it. I think Mm -hmm. they're trying to, I think they're trying to play to the strengths of at least the, the, the three tailbacks that we have seen. I realized that Dallin Hayden in week one came in at the, at the tail end, but uh, I think that they recognize the fact that all three of them, uh, Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, and Chip Trainum, um, are all very valuable parts of the offense that they want to use. I'm just not sure if they know when to okay when to sprinkle in Chip Trainum versus you know running Travion Henderson multiple times. I think they're they're still trying to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look like they have um like a solid role. It's just feels like, Oh, this is the Mayan Williams drive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not situational. It's just this drive is Henderson. This drive is Williams. This drive will throw in a little bit of both. And maybe also some chip training who clearly has surpassed Alan Hayden on the depth chart um, to firmly take that number three spot. In addition to playing fullback. I think the fact that they are using him at fullback, that bodes well for the remainder of the season. That's just, that's just my opinion. I think the fact that they um, not just, I I guess when I think of the the stereotypical Ohio state fullback, you know, I'm thinking, you know, back in the nineties, like Nikki Sualua, who Mm -hmm. was just this battering Ram um, that would clear the way for Eddie George or, you know, any of the Ohio state tailbacks. And he, he was great at it. Don't, don't, you know, I'm not trying to downplay that. But I think Chip Trainum, obviously at goal line, being the the blocking back for for Mayan Williams at least through the first two games of the season, that's great. But as a receiver out of the backfield or carrying the ball himself, I think that they really, I think that they recognize the fact that he's very versatile and they want to use those those skills. Yeah, very talented kid, and um, they just looking for other ways to get him on the field. Um. So yeah, the also in the second quarter. Uh, as time was getting down toward the end, three minutes left, uh, Emeka Ibuka, 28-yard touchdown pass from McCord to make it 28-7. to seven. They end up getting a stop and getting the ball back. And I, I was really interested to see the two-minute drill, Chip. I wanted to see what does Kyle McCord look like in the two-minute drill. And he was mostly fine. He had one pass that was a little wide for Marvin Harrison to be able to get his feet down and bounce. But then in the next play, he throws a perfect strike to Marvin Harrison and Harrison drops it, and we almost never see that. I know. Even even the commentators were surprised uh, that Marvin Harrison dropped that. Uh, but it was, like you said, it was an opportunity to see what, what Kyle McCord could do with the two-minute offense. And personally, I think that he has demonstrated that he is the starting quarterback. Um, maybe there's a difference of opinion, um, but I think that he kind of showed throughout his performance – in game two that he is the starter and I'd be surprised if Ryan day doesn't make that announcement at his press conference on Tuesday. 
Yeah. Very clearly um, the more accurate of the two quarterbacks. I felt like from week one to week two, what we saw with McCord was in week one, he was very quick to go to his checkdowns. In week two, he almost ignored his checkdowns to a fault. There were some times where he tried to fit a ball into where maybe he shouldn't have um, or tried a, a more difficult throw downfield where he had something maybe at the eight or 10 yard range that he could have hit underneath that was a little more open and easier to take the uh, take the easy yards. So, you know, again, just a few starts for this kid. He doesn't have enough experience. He's still learning on the job. So you're going to have to find that happy medium at some point. But right now, it's it's he's gone from one extreme to another. I don't think Cade Stover even Cade Stover even have a catch on uh, Saturday. I don't, I don't believe did. so. No, I think you're right. It's absolutely right. I think, like you said, I mean, it was the Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka show for for pretty much in terms of. I know that Carnell Tate had another reception and um, mm-hmm. you know, but and G Scott, but yeah, that's right. I, he did I, hit I really, G Scott, or maybe it was Devin Brown that hit G Scott, but one of them hit him on a on a for a key first down at one point. Yeah, but I don't think Kate Stover had any receptions. Yeah. Nope, I'm looking at the stats now. Nothing for Cade. So year of the tight end is put on pause. <laughs> it's amazing. Is uh, the reason I'm reason I'm laughing is <laughs> every year, every year, Ohio State fans are saying, you know, the the joke about, you know, like this is the year of the tight end. Yep. And in game 1, in game 1, Cade Stover is the primary receiver. And all the Ohio State fans are complaining about is like, I can't believe that they're just throwing it to Cade Stover. <laughs> it's like, make up your mind, people. Yeah. Like, what do you want? It's like, and in fairness, again, to, to Kyle McCord, I think, uh, I think it was a part of maybe some reluctance on, on his part to, uh, you know, uh, being tentative about making mistakes. I also believe that there were some things that Indiana was presenting that that kind of made it more difficult for him to go with a downfield passing game. And I also believe that he didn't have the 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 full spectrum of the of the playbook like CJ Stroud did in the sense that I think the coaching staff felt more and more comfortable with CJ Stroud, which said like, hey, here's what you can do, here's what you should be looking for. I think they kind of were a little bit more, you know, like, hey, like let's let's play it safe with Kyle McCord. So I think he's starting to to gain the trust of the coaching staff. So we'll see how that, where that, where that goes, uh, you know, for the remainder of the season. Yep. All right. So it was 28 to seven at the half, very symmetrical Ohio state with 14 points in the first quarter and in the second quarter. And uh, the only blemish uh, the other way was a uh, touchdown on the first Youngstown state drive. So uh, three touchdown lead at the break. Then you get in the second half, Chip, and it was uh, it was kind of ugly. There was a lot more Devin Brown in the second half. There was uh, there were more there was more rotation, and Ohio State only able to put seven points on the board against Youngstown State in the second half. And this is again something that surprised me. I thought that the you know even if the starters aren't excited to play an FCS school, when the backups get their chance, they usually do really well against those types of schools because they they know they're not going to get a, a lot of chances to get on the field just didn't see a lot of that in this game did have a Travion Henderson 30-yard touchdown run in the third quarter but no scoring in the fourth quarter and there was a chance to obviously score another touchdown Devin Brown badly missing uh, Carnell Tate who was open in the right corner of the end zone and then uh, 
taking a sack on fourth down, which is inexcusable at any level. You can't take a sack on fourth down, you know, roll the dice and <laughs> take your shot. Yeah, I I definitely felt, you know, getting back to the idea of Tom McCord being the starter, I, I felt <laughs> that Devin Brown, if, if there was going to be an opportunity for him to continue to make the case that the second half of Youngstown State was where he needed to make it, and he didn't. I don't, I'm not saying that he played poorly. I just feel that Tom McCord played better by in comparison. And um, to your point about, you know, because that was frustrating to watch on fourth down. It didn't surprise me whatsoever. Here's an, we, we talk about it. Okay, here's an opportunity for you to, okay, you, you know, to kind of get more experience, uh, run the offense, fourth down. Even the commentators are saying this makes sense rather than just kicking the field goal. And to your point about, all right, you need to throw the ball into the end zone versus taking the sack, uh, turning it over on downs. I mean, it was just tremendously frustrating. I mean, the fact that uh, Ohio State, besides that, um, I mean, they they actually, you know, um, had it, um, Mayan Williams ran it in. We were talking earlier about Chip Trainum and, and Mayan Williams ran it in, but it was called back, mm-hmm. uh, a holding call. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's another touchdown taken off the off the board, and there was another. I mean, like kind of a fluke play. Not that I was expecting a touchdown, but I I couldn't believe the opportunity to pin Youngstown State deep um, when when their returner fumbled the punt, and it looked to me like okay, here's. I mean, you're going to get this ball if you're at Ohio State. You're going to get this ball like right on the right on the goal line, and it, and then it turned out that Youngstown State recovered i thought man i mean you want to talk about some just missed opportunities for more points there there was just a lot of a lot of puzzling and frustrating moments that was frustrating because it seemed like the ohio state player i can't remember who it was off the top of my head but there were two ohio state players there was one was julian fleming i can't remember who the other one i think i think that that might have been that actually might have been lorenzo styles jr Okay, so they he, go down the field. They both, yeah, because and both he decided he. I thought he was just going to run past the guy and you go jump on right. the ball, but instead yeah. he like he he didn't think he could or something, and he 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 went to try to push the the Youngstown State player away, but he only ended up really pushing him closer where the ball ended up, and and uh, they were able to recover. So that was that was tough. There was also a, a chance to take the ball away when Tommy Eichenberg got a strip sack, and okay. Ohio State couldn't fall on that. And uh, but Ohio State, Jim Knowles, finally, his defense got a takeaway with a uh, great interception in the end zone by Denzel Burke. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about how the defense is a little bit not 100 percent right now or looking like they're looking like the the type of defense we'd like to see. But Denzel Burke looks like he's back 100 percent all the way. I really like what I've seen out of uh, Sonny Styles and. I really like what I've seen out of Michael Hall Jr. What I would also like to see is stop with the incessant rotation. Wait till the guys feel a little winded and take themselves out. Don't keep just, it seemed like every meaningful snap that Michael Hall was on the, on the field, they did something good. And every time he wasn't, they didn't do something good. Yeah. I, I can only hope. And again, this is just, maybe I'm, I'm being, you know, overly, optimistic and naive is that they're thinking, all right, this is early in the season. We're going to need these guys to be fresh. Uh, as the season progresses, let's, let's try to rotate as many guys as possible. Not only for playing time, we're not necessarily concerned about 
these guys, the, the opponents possibly uh, playing, you know, pulling off the upset. Again, I, I'm probably grasping at straws here, but I agree with you. I think Michael Hall needs to be more of a consistent player on that defensive line. I completely agree about the performance of Denzel Burke, uh, all of the praise that we were reading about and hearing about uh, during the spring about how he was playing so much better. It certainly has shown on the field. I also agree about Sonny Styles, his impact. And I'm going to throw another name that I, I'm impressed with. I, I just his style of play, and that is Davison Igbenosan. I like I like the fact that he's, uh, I mean, a very physical style of corner. And we'll see in the coming weeks um, when when the the caliber of opponent starts to ratchet up. Um, if Igbenosan, if he starts to come with some takeaways, because I think people are going to start to shy away from throwing at Denzel Burke. <laughs> Yeah, I think so too. Well, I think they should. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, if they don't, you know, he's already got an interception on the season, which is good because I don't think he had one at all last year. I think no. I don't think any cornerback had a uh, an interception last year for Iowa State. If I'm if I'm uh, right. remembering correctly, it was just safeties correct. and linebackers. So you know, this is a this is a positive for Jim Knowles defense, and they could use a little more on the positive side. So oh, absolutely. All right. So again, the finals 35 to seven, uh, you were closer in terms of the score because you were only four off of what Youngstown state had, even though I, I picked seven, uh, and you were way lower than me on Ohio state's points and we were both way over. So you're up on me to nothing. Uh, I, I mean, that's, that's subjective. I appreciate it, but I mean, um, one thing I will, say after the first two weeks of the season is I don't believe Ohio state is going to be able to put up the kind of point total with this new clock rule. I think that that's kind of the, this new philosophy that the opponents so far is let's try and play, keep away from Ohio state as much as possible, mm -hmm. milk the clock. And I think it's going to really impact Ohio state in terms of their point total. Maybe I'm mistaken, but so far, the first two weeks, Ohio State has not been putting up the points that we've grown accustomed to. Yeah, I, I saw a stat that Ohio State was only getting something like four or six fewer plays a game, though. And that shouldn't have that big an impact on the scoreboard what, as what we're seeing. But And I also don't think some of these upcoming opponents are not going to be, let's just be, let's just limit the damage. I, I think a lot of these other schools will say, look, we can win this game, so let's go out and play football and not worry about you know, running the clock down. Well, let's just run our offense, and a lot of offenses these days are not built to slow things down. Now, I thought in week one, it looked like it frustrated Ohio State offensively. I don't think it looked the same in week two. I thought that they handled it much better, but they're going to face much better competition as well. Oh, yeah. The, the team that they have coming into Columbus this, this coming week is uh, widely expected to contend for their conference championship. Now, granted, you know, they're, they're not at the same kind of caliber of opponent that Ohio state is used to playing within the big 10, but even mm -hmm. so, like you said, they, they like to throw the ball all over the place. So um, you might be onto something there. All right. Picks to click. Let's check back on our picks to click for Youngstown state. I had on offense, Kyle McCord, who I think, you could say clicked in this game, uh, 14 of 20 for 258 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, didn't take a sack. I would agree with that. Yeah, like I said, I think he definitely showed 
he is the starter. I, I will be tremendously surprised if Ryan Day says that they're going to try to keep bringing in Devin Brown. I think Devin Brown needs to needs to play. Don't get me wrong. But I think this idea of, okay, well, Devin Brown, we, we want to see if he, if he's the starter. I think that that, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think easily Kyle McCord goes over 350 if he plays the whole game, maybe over 400. Oh, easily. Absolutely. Uh, you had Marvin Harrison Jr. as your uh, pick to click, and I would say he definitely clicked. Uh, his seven catches on 12 targets, did have one drop, uh, 160 yards, 57 of that after the catch chip, two touchdowns, including a, a career-long 71-yarder, also should have drawn a flag in the end zone um, for to set Ohio State up in better position for uh, another score. So uh, I would say both of our offensive picks to click uh, came through for us. I would completely agree. So we'll turn our attention to the defensive side of the ball. And you had Michael Hall Jr. and I had Tommy Eichenberg. And uh, as we look at the stats, well, Mike Hall Jr. only had Two tackles, one solo, one assist, uh, but he also had a sack and a tackle for loss of 10 yards. Um, given the fact that this is a, is a small sample size based on the number of plays that he was on the field, uh, what do you think? Do you think that's a click? Oh, wow. Um, I know I'm putting know it on you. you. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, you know something? I, I would say... I would say no because of, I mean, yeah, when he was in, um, he did some good things, but you know, you, you like, again, it's not really entirely his fault. I think that he needs to play more. And so that's mm -hmm. why I would, I would, I, I would lean towards no, but I will defer to you. Yeah, I agree with you. I believe the starting defensive tackles were Ty Lake Williams, Ty Hamilton. Right. And I, I just think Mike Hall Jr. is a much more explosive player and he makes more big plays. Um, I don't know why the other, the other, there's guys starting over in front of him. Maybe it's, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Uh, I had Tommy Eichenberg. He's the free space, as you know, led the team in tackles, six, six total of tackles with three solos, three assists, a uh, tackle for loss, a sack, and a forced fumble. I would say Tommy clicked. Yes, I would completely agree with that. So there you have it, uh, 35 to seven. Uh, the scores are definitely down. What you would, when you, I think you would really expect is something more along the lines of what uh, Penn State did to Delaware. That's, that's what you should expect this Ohio State team to do to Youngstown State. And that's where, that's where, the, where the concern comes in, is mm -hmm. that when you see what Penn State did to Delaware, uh, what Ohio State traditionally would do to a, an FCS opponent. Um, the fact that the offensive line is still causing issues, like you said, the the how Youngstown State was able to run the ball, um, considering that they are an FCS team. That's why I think that there's room for concern, but I also believe that things can be fixed, um, that they definitely, you know, as it relates to uh, – you know, possibly identifying which players need to be playing more, you know, which players need to be um, helped with as it relates to like maybe the offensive line. We we talked about Kyle McCord. I think that there are certain things that 
uh, you know, kind of where I said, you know, I, I think that there were some some areas that that gave me uh, hope, and then there were the areas that uh, are of concern. I think that's where Ryan Day, uh, you know, he he made no bones about it. He wasn't happy, kind of what I said earlier about the the defensive lapses, and mm-hmm. you know, so I th- I think that those are going to be heavily scrutinized this coming week. Yeah, for me, I thought that the growth of Kyle McCord from weeks one to two was that was encouraging. Um, I like Travion Henderson in this game, I like Chip Tranum in this game. Uh, those were all improvements. Uh, there's still some problems. There's uh, obviously a short yardage is an issue. It's a passing down for Ohio State because they cannot run the football and they often don't choose to do so in the smartest way. They don't. They don't just put a hat on a hat and go at you. They or they don't run any traps. They just try to stretch you and let the running back find a crease. And I don't understand why they keep doing it to the short side of the field. It's there's, there's not going to be a crease there. I agree. Like I said, it's, it's puzzling. Um, you know, we see, we see the the results, how, how poorly the results are. Uh, you would think that the coaching staff would see the same uh, and let's hope that they get it figured out between now and next week against Western Kentucky. The um, yeah, I, I just don't get it. I, unless they're setting up Michigan, they're just going to do this all season long and they're going to run a reverse in that situation against Michigan and score a touchdown. <laughs> That'd be nice, but I, I, I don't think that they're that, I don't think they're that <laughs> calculating. I, I highly doubt it on the defensive side. Uh, I like the way the corners played for the most part. Uh, I'm, the the interior defensive line is just okay to me and the defensive ends are not doing a very good job they're not containing and they're not getting pressure on the quarterback uh JT Tuimoloa was close a couple times Jack Sawyer didn't look close on most of the plays uh Caden Curry I thought actually outplayed Jack Sawyer in this game yeah the the lack of a pass rush i'm not sure if it's because the uh the opposing team is just getting rid of the ball quick or if it's just the lack of, a, I mean, just the overall, like you said, you know, JT and Jack Sawyer, not, you know, not getting there in quick enough. I mean, I'm just not sure. It's it's definitely something that we have to keep an eye on because this week and in subsequent weeks, you're going to be going up against some better passing attacks and you're going to need somebody who can put the pressure on besides your linebacking. Yeah. I don't, I just don't see the defensive line beating their man in one-on-one situations. I don't see it inside or outside. I think there's a, that's a lot of the problem. And then when teams do run, that's why they're able to get three or four yards because it takes Steel Chambers or Tommy Eichenberg to make that play. The, the defensive linemen are getting blocked. They're not coming free. They're not getting off their blocks. I don't know. You and I have talked about this before, but I think I'm not in the Woody every day. I don't see what's going on. But for me, I would like to transition Larry Johnson Jr. into an advisor and or consultant, whatever they're calling them these days, and get a young, aggressive, hard-nosed defensive line coach. I'm not disagreeing. I just don't know. I'm I'm just thinking on the recruiting side of it, um, the fact that there are players that say the reason I came here is because that they wanted to play for Larry Johnson. So I'm not sure how you handle that. I think, you know, Larry Johnson, certainly, it certainly seems as though that there's a disconnect between Larry Johnson and Jim Knowles in terms of 
what they want to do schematically. Um, and I just, I'm not sure how Ryan Day addresses that. It's, it's certainly something to keep an eye out for. Well, I think at some point you are going to lose Larry Johnson anyway. So right. it, at some point you have to deal with that. So why not just expedite that and get over it? I mean, why do great wide receivers want to come to Ohio State? Because they go to the NFL in the first round. That's used to be the case with Ohio State defensive linemen. That's not been happening. I know. I know. I mean, it's it's definitely it's one of these things where um, when it comes to the defensive line recruiting, with the exception of, you know, some of some of the players um, that have verbally committed, um, Ohio State's missed out. Mm -hmm. Um, so like you said, you know, it's like, it's starting to become more and more of an issue. I'm just not sure how they want to, how they want to address it. And I, I don't obviously have any way to do the research on this or the time for every kid that comes to Ohio state and says it's because Larry Johnson, how many kids went somewhere else because of the negative recruiting that everyone else can do and saying, Larry Johnson's like, it's getting up there. He's not going to be there your whole career. Oh, I have no doubt that that's being used against yeah. Ohio State. None yeah. whatsoever. So I, I think that, for me, that probably equals, you know, balances out the equation. I think you just, you can't let that be the reason um, that you don't go and find someone that's more suited for this defense or, or uh, you know, that fits a little better or is maybe a little bit more, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on in that defensive room, but... This is not the way the defensive line for Ohio State has ever really looked. They've always had a good bunch of guys up front, and they they were not noticeably winning their battles against an FCS team on Saturday on either offense or defense. So that that was troubling. It is because we're going to be getting into, like you said, some some opponents like Notre Dame, um, like Penn State, like Wisconsin. Even though Wisconsin lost. At Washington State, I mean, Wisconsin traditionally is is very strong um, at the line of scrimmage. Ohio State has to figure something out, yeah. and I'm not sure what they're going to do. But they, you know, it. <laughs> I can only imagine it, it must be it must be very difficult to try and fix, um, you know, an you know an airplane while it's in flight, um, <laughs> and that's basically what Ohio State has. Yeah. You know, you're you're two weeks you're two weeks into the season. That's why I said, you know, I said about possibly making adjustments on the offensive line in terms of who's playing where. Well, it's probably not the 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 best time, and if they were going to do it, they probably should have done it already. Um, I'm not sure if that's the, the route they're going to take. And to your point about the defensive line, uh, you know, with Larry Johnson, the fact that he likes to rotate, which is causing frustration amongst the fan base, at least. Um, you know, I'm not sure how that how they want to address all of these issues. Yeah. Well, there are people that get paid to do that and that's not us. I know. I know. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Before we get out of this show, Chip, we're going to talk about the upcoming game against Western Kentucky this weekend. I believe that's a 4 p.m. kickoff. Correct. Uh, we'll do our preview. We'll have our picks to click on our predictions. We're going to look around at the other Big Ten results as well. And we have a little news out of the Big Ten that's kind of big that we'll touch on. We're going to get to all of that right after this. Chip, we are back, and let's talk about Sparty No. 
Yeah, that uh, very shocking news. Uh, the very. I mean, as of you know, it was I believe late Saturday night that I saw something on social media, and truth be told, uh, you know, I, I happened to see it, but didn't really you know put a ton of investigation into it, you know, because it, it, like I said, it was late Saturday night, mm-hmm. uh, but but all of that has really come uh, <laughs> uh, to come under heavy scrutiny and Michigan state uh, made some decisions in terms of for the near and immediate future as to what they want to do with their football program. Yeah. Michigan state Spartans have suspended Mel Tucker head coach of the football team without pay during an investigation of sexual misconduct. This is apparently not new, but it has been recently reported on and um, it's not a good look for the school. They've had, deal with other issues recently. Uh, Certainly not a good look for Mel Tucker, who maintains his innocence. We, of course, don't have um, any access to the, you know, whatever evidence has been gathered. So um, we just hope that the alleged victim is okay. And, um, you know, that's really all we can do is is, uh, just hope that everything ends up okay. But if, if there's any truth whatsoever to what's been reported, that this was like a, a, I guess, a, phone sex without consent kind of situation um i don't know why you just don't hang up but i guess by that time that you realize you have to hang up it's already happened so uh not great um but if there's any truth to it obviously uh, mel tucker should be fired and and be out of the position yeah it the the news is you know when you find the article like on espn.com or whatever when you read through it it's pretty graphic uh and the fact that um the victim uh, in this uh, is actually a rape survivor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so Multi, like, I multiple. mean, it's, yeah, multiple rape survivor and um, has dedicated her life to, you know, kind of, you know, educating the masses about, you know, what happened to her and, and, you know, how to, how to handle these situations. So it, it just looks bad all around. Yeah. Like you said, you know, Mel Tucker is, proclaiming his innocence but the skepticism in me is within that article for those who haven't read it um he he did acknowledge certain aspects of it so i mm-hmm. believe the time frame of this is that michigan state said something in terms of like probably early october about releasing the the findings of their investigation so he's been suspended without pay until the investigation has been concluded and, mm-hmm. and announced it's just not looking good for for him. Harlan Barnett, who um, is going to serve as the interim head coach, um, you know, it's 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 unfortunate because Michigan State got off to a two and zero start. So now their their season, what direction this is going to take, who knows? Mark D'Antonio is going to kind of help in the background as like an associate head coach, um, but Harlan Barnett is definitely it, it's this is going to be a very challenging situation. Yeah. All right. Well, let's segue into our uh, walk around the big 10 then chip, because Michigan state played Richmond and won 45 to 14 at home. Pretty easy victory for uh, the Spartans. Um, in fact, it was mo- for the most part, the, uh, the big 10 had a big day. Um, Rutgers crushed temple 36 to seven. Congratulations, Rutgers. Uh, Maryland beat Charlotte, although that game was a little 
a little tighter for a while. They win 38 to 20. That also was at home. So all those games at home, uh, Minnesota was at home to Eastern Michigan and won 25 to six and Michigan, uh, was at home to UNLV and won 35 to seven Wisconsin, Wisconsin went to Washington state. And I think, I don't know if you saw much of the game or the highlights, but I think Wisconsin got screwed in this game because Washington state, I thought that Wisconsin's running back was down and they, and the ball came out after he was down and they ruled it a fumble almost taking Washington state's word for it. The officials looked very confused on that play and they upheld it after a replay. Cause there wasn't really a clear look at it. Um, but I will say that I was watching it without the sound on as I often do. So I don't know if you saw that or, or heard something that maybe could change my mind about that being a fumble. I did not. Um, I happened to, to watch the, the tail end of the game. So I, I'm not, I didn't see that particular play i will say what i did see from washington state when you needed wisconsin to defensively to shut down washington state from running the ball and running off the clock wisconsin was unable to do so which was tremendously surprising Mm -hmm. um so um yeah i didn't see that controversial play that you're talking about i i mean this this is i mean traveling across the country uh, is always a, a difficult thing. The fact that, you know, Washington state, let's face it, the fact that they and Oregon state are basically, <laughs> you know, like they are, uh, shopping for a new home. Um, and you know, I, I think that they're, they're playing, they're, they're playing as, as intensely as they possibly can to try and impress some conference out there to, to give them a home. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think Wisconsin will be fine, but yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely was, uh, kind of an eye opener. Yeah, they definitely uh have a, a much improved team Washington State too. They've they've been better the last couple of years. Uh but Shez Malusi uh was the one who fumbled and to, I thought he was down. I did not think that was a fumble and uh was very surprised that um to see the ruling on the field and then Washington State uh scored a, a you know added on a touchdown at the end of that drive uh to put sort of put the game away. So um uh, not good for Wisconsin, but uh, they are one and one. And ultimately, that doesn't hurt them. Their goals are all still in front of them uh, for the most part for the season, I think. Oh, certainly. Yeah. The fact, I mean, it's non conference, like you said, you know, it's, it, it doesn't hurt them in the grand scheme of things. I think um, Wisconsin, I had said this and maybe I'm mistaken, but I think Wisconsin, that transition to, more of a passing offense. I it, I think it's going to be a a work in progress all season. Um, I I think that they'll get there eventually. It's just that I think Wisconsin this might not be as as easy of a transition as a lot of people anticipated. Yeah. All right. Northwestern was at home chip against UTEP and won thirty eight to seven. No problem for the Wildcats there. So they are on the board at one and one. Iowa went to Iowa State for the annual Cyhawk rivalry game and didn't really do much offensively, but won 20 to 13, had I think at least one pick six in this game, maybe, maybe more than one, but they uh they didn't look again crisp and sharp. But then it's the Cyhawk game. It never looks crisp and sharp. It never does. And so far, Iowa, I mean, they're they're doing what they need to do to win. And that's that's pretty much we'll see if they're able to generate some more offense is is that that's basically kind of the the demand 
from the athletic director that they are better offensively than what they have shown in previous seasons. Yeah. Okay. It was just one interception for a touchdown, but it was okay. It was amazingly a bad decision to throw. (laughs) And, you know, you you really get a, a sense when you see some of these teams around the country of what they go through, when you see a quarterback try to throw an out route uh, from the, uh, from the far hash and you, they throw these wobbly ducks that hang in the air for half an hour and allow the other team to get under them and take them the other way. When you see, when you compare that to what Ohio state's had in recent years with Justin Fields and, and uh, Stroud, CJ Stroud, and now Kyle McCord, he's got that arm strength that he doesn't throw those ducks uh, that are just up there for half an hour waiting for somebody to just come and take them out of the sky. Yeah, I, I've said this before. I, I think Ohio State fans <laughs> have become spoiled um, mm-hmm. with the, the caliber, the caliber of of play um, that they expect. And let's face it, there's a standard of excellence that Ohio State has developed and maintained. Uh, so whenever you don't see that, I, I can see why you know people get frustrated. But the, all you have to do. <laughs> to your point is, okay, why don't you go look around the country and see what other people are experiencing. And I think you might gain a a tremendous appreciation for what you do have. There's no better um, example than the Alabama, Texas game. I thought that Alabama lost that game because their quarterback wasn't as good as he needed to be in that game. Yeah. Now there's the game that I was, I was paying close attention to Uh, Texas. I I don't want to say that they are back because that is always, (laughs) <laughs> the premature the the premature statement, um, but they looked they looked to be the more dominant team throughout. And to your point about Alabama, I think that they are they're in a kind of a transitional state. You know, after the last few years of having stellar quarterback play, mm-hmm. I think this this might be this might be a year where they are going to have to try to make do with what they've got. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the kid's got a big arm. He he took the top off a couple of times, but. You know, he was uh, was not making some good decisions on some plays, and he was not making good throws on others. But uh, uh, former Buckeye Quinn Ewers did very well in this game. He's a he's a kid that's really struggled on long passes, but against Alabama, he was accurate. Yeah, Quinn Ewers. I think that they have figured out what he is what he is good at, and I think instead of all of the hype that accompanied him, you know, from the recruiting services, I think that. Texas coaching staff has has really tried to focus in on what he does well and just kind of build the offense around that. I think it's because he cut the mullet off. <laughs> well, I I was going to say Mrs. Minnick, Mrs. Minnick saw, you know, like the before and after shots and was making comments to me about she couldn't believe, you know, like, you know, oh my gosh, like look at that, you know, and then, you know, when they showed the picture of him with the short hair, how much better he looks. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, staying in the conference or getting back to the conference after a little uh, national game there. Uh, Purdue went to Virginia Tech, and uh, that game was delayed a couple hours, I think, because of a terrible storm. Uh, And then Purdue wins the game 24-17 over the Hokies, and uh, they get the victory. Um, I don't know if you can hear that, but that's because of autoplay ad. (laughs) Is that... Is that me? Nope. That was an autoplay ad on my scoreboard page. Oh, okay. I was going to uh, say, I was like, no. Oh. Nope. That's that's how high tech we are here. Um, there you go. We look right. things up on the internet. Anyway, uh, then staying in the conference, Illinois uh, played on Friday. A couple games on Friday. Illinois went to Kansas and 
they were getting killed in this game and made a game of it in the second half and actually had a chance uh, to to get back uh, on level terms to Kansas, but couldn't quite do it. Kansas wins the game 34-23. Um, and Indiana stayed home to play Indiana State and won 41-7. And uh, as we mentioned, the guy they wouldn't allow throw a pass against Ohio State, Jackson, uh, had a big day for Indiana against Indiana State. But, of course, you got to consider the um, – the opponent, the level of the opponent, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, wasn't the <laughs> the biggest uh, opponent for the Hoosiers, but they managed to win. And Jackson, um, Taven Jackson went uh, 18 of 21 chip for 236 yards, did not throw a touchdown or an interception, uh, but they let him air it out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we talked earlier when we were doing our preseason predictions, like there are certain games that I thought Indiana would definitely win. This was one of them. Um, you know, the fact that, that they were a little bit more uh, open offensively than they were against Ohio state. I think it just kind of speaks volumes about the kind of team that they believe that they have, or that they do not <laughs> do not have, um, you know, so we'll see what kind of success Indiana has as they get closer and closer to conference play. And uh, the one uh, other game from Saturday that I didn't mention, uh, sorry, I'll go back and get it now. Nebraska played at Colorado and lost 36 to 14. Uh, Jeff Sims is not a good quarterback, Chip. No, he isn't. And I think it's unfortunate that Nebraska, they they spent this offseason, you know, trying to build their offense around him. I think he's you know, obviously prone to turnovers as, you know, Colorado was able, able to ca- capitalize upon that. Uh, we'll see what direction Matt, uh, Matt rule decides to take, because I think he is definitely hindering the Nebraska offense. All right, Chip, the, uh, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers coming to Columbus this weekend, and they are currently the number 12 passing offense in the country. And they are averaging 327 yards passing per game. So they're going to air it out. We know this. Uh, Ohio State's going to need to get pressure on the quarterback. Ohio State's going to need to cover well in the secondary. And, um, you know, those are these are two things that Ohio State has struggled with the last few years, um, either in one or both of those areas. So it's going to it's going to be imperative for Ohio State to get pressure with the front four because I don't think they're going to be able to rush as many linebackers this time because there's going to be some short intermediate stuff over the middle that if the linebackers vacate to rush, that's going to open up some lanes and make things easier for Western Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, just a newsflash for the Ohio state fan base. Do not be surprised if Western Kentucky is successful at completing passes and, you know, keeping drives alive because they're, they're going to throw and throw and throw uh, when it comes to their quarterback, Austin Reed, uh, you know, last year, I mean, I, I want to say that, you know, he, uh, you know, he had almost, you know, 4,800 yards passing. So that should give you an idea <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, the fact that, I mean, it's, it's definitely from the, from the um, Mike Leach uh, air raid type of uh, scheme, uh, you know, the, the coaching staff, they like to throw the ball all over the field. Now, you know, whether the Ohio State secondary is uh, going to play as 
I'm just going to say uh, as wide open as they have previously, I'm, I'd be surprised. I, I think I really do believe that Ryan Day is going to insist upon um, some more traditional, you know, uh, two deep safeties to, to kind of limit, um, you know, any kind of, you know, yards after the catch, you know what I mean? Like to try mm-hmm. to minimize the big plays. We'll see if that comes to pass. Like you said, we're not, we're not at the Woody. We're not in the, we're not being paid to coach, but that's how, that's the way I would approach it is that, you know, that they're going to throw it doesn't mean that you have to let them complete it for, for, for big plays. Yep. They're also number 14 in the country in scoring offense at this point, 46.5 points per game. But if you look at their opponents, it's not like they've played anyone. It's uh, South Florida. They beat 41, 24 in week one. And uh, Houston Christian, 52 to 22. So uh, they give up points defensively. Uh, they just outscore their opponents. So they're going to be able to hang around if, if Ohio State can't slow them down. I think and this is one of those games where you might see them try to go, uh, try to keep everything in front of them and make Western Kentucky drive the ball down the field within a lot of plays without making mistakes. And uh, um, hopefully that will be the case. Hopefully Ohio State can you know, manage that. And, and then when the field gets condensed, you know, in the red zone, you can hold them to field goals because you can, you can defend those areas better. There's not as, as many holes uh, to cover up. So not as much space. Uh, that is kind of what I expect for this game. I kind of expect Ohio state defensively. They'll probably give up some first downs and let Western Kentucky move the ball a bit, but then things will tighten up inside the 30 and Ohio State will be able to maybe hold them to field goals instead of touchdowns and, and then just be able to uh, – I, I don't expect Ohio State to struggle as much offensively um, as they have the last two weeks. I think that things are starting to turn the right corner. Uh, they just need to work on – keep working on stuff, keep building chemistry. And really, last year we were, we were, we were all about the game's a blowout get some of these backup quarterbacks in there with the first team and let them, you know, experience what that's like this year. I'm the opposite. We got inexperienced guys. Kyle McCord has clearly won the job. Just let him get as many snaps as he can. I agree about giving Kyle McCord the, the basically like, okay, you're, you're the guy. Um, and, um, let's, let's just run the, run the offense, uh, completely, you know, uh, give you the the full command of the offense and let's see where we go. I, I certainly believe that Ohio state is going to have an easier time than they had, uh, the, the, the previous two games. Um, and we'll see, you know, how many points are able to put up. Um, I also agree with what you said on the defensive side. I think it's going to be about trying to keep everything in front of them, uh, trying to, you know, when it, it gets more and more difficult to throw into the end zone, especially when you have, you know, less field to work with. It's just more of my, my concern is if Jim Knowles is stubborn enough to, you know, not play the, the, the two deep safeties um, that would help negate uh, any kind of big plays. So, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I definitely think that Ohio state has the potential to, to put up better points than they have in the previous two weeks. All right, Chip, let's get to our picks to click. Last week, we started on offense, so we're going to start on defense this week. Who do you got? Who do you like for Ohio State to have a big game? I mentioned him earlier. Um, 
since they're going up against uh, such a pass-heavy uh, opponent, I'm going to go with uh, Davison Igbenosin. Um, I think that they're that Western Kentucky. We know that they're going to throw. I I'm reluctant to, um, even though he had a good game, Denzel Burke. Um, I'm reluctant to choose him because I think that they're going to try and pick on Davison Igbenosin, and I think he's going to make them re- regret that decision. Right. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Denzel Burke, and I think you measure his success by how many times they don't throw to his side of the football field. So he might not put up big numbers, but he might click anyway. Okay. I like it. That's my thinking. My thinking is he'll be able to make uh, make plays to the point where he's his coverage is is shutting his guy down. I don't know that he'll be called upon to intercept the ball or, you know, deflect any passes or or make a lot of tackles so that's kind of where i'm going to be looking when i when i uh decide whether he's picked whether he's clicked or not um and now we get to go to the offensive side of the ball and i am going to go with emeka Ibuka. i think it's time for him to have a big game we've had a bigger a, you know a big game out of marvin and we haven't had a big game from Emeka yet, so I'm, I think he's due. And I think maybe uh, Western Kentucky rotates safeties after seeing what Marvin Harrison did last week, and that opens some things up for Emeka. That's my that's my logic here. No, it's it's, it's good logic. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Marvin Harrison again, simply because I think sometimes <laughs> what looks good on paper, um, <laughs> translating it to the field, uh, may not be you know, it's that old expression about easier said than done. And um, what Western Kentucky tries to do, I think Marvin Harrison Jr., I think I think he's going to have another big game. And especially if Kyle McCord is announced as the starter, I think that the rapport that they have going back to their high school days, I, I definitely believe that Marvin Harrison Jr. will be the beneficiary. I would not be surprised. And I wouldn't be surprised if both of those uh, receivers have a big day and a couple others. Exactly. All right, Chip, it is time for our score predictions. I'm going to go first this week. I am thinking that because Houston Christian could score 22 points on this team, this Western Kentucky team, I think Ohio State's at least twice as good, especially at home. And I'm going to say 44 for Ohio State, even though they haven't come close to that number yet. Uh, 44 to 23 Ohio State. Man, that's impressive because since we don't talk prior to the prior to our recording, I'm I'm of a similar mindset. Um, I'm gonna actually go 42 to 20. Um I you know, something that you had said kind of made me think that all right, there's gonna probably be um you know some field goals possibly for Western Kentucky, but I also believe, you know, that there's always the possibility of uh, the Hilltoppers getting into the end zone, which will cause a lot of the, the uh, gnashing of teeth and rending of garments and all the other hyperbole um, <laughs> of frustration. So, um, but I think we're of a similar mindset. I think it's it, that 20 point plus victory for Ohio state. I think Ohio State's going to have no problems putting points on the Hilltoppers. All right. There you have it. We are uh, on the board. We've uh, put our money where our mouth is. Now we get to come back next week, break down the Western Kentucky game, see if our picks to click actually clicked and see who was closer on our score prediction. Uh, you're, you're, you're 
taking the lead early this year and I, I I'm due man. But you know, when you, when you predict close to the same score I did and it's uh, makes it tough to win. <laughs> well, I, well, I will say this much. It was that that's why, you know, when, when, as soon as you said that you were going first, I was like, I wonder what he's got. Cause I had mine written down. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that, that, that's interesting. You know, cause again, I I'm thinking with the, the clock, the, the, the way that the, the new clock rules, kind of what we alluded to earlier, you know, I, I think there's only so many possessions, but by the same token, Western Kentucky is not as good defensively. So it, it's kind of tough to try and get an idea as to how many points Ohio State's going to be able to put on, on the Hilltoppers. Yeah. I'd be interested to go back and uh, see how many times Ohio State has punted in some of these uh, games against opponents where you think they should overmatch the opponent, like the first two games this year. Uh, the way more punts against Indiana than I expected. And three punts against an FCS school is not something I expected either. No, not at all. Like I said, I mean, kind of, you know, just to reiterate, the credit I gave to Doug Phillips um, for coming out, playing aggressively, playing uh, playing tough. I mean, uh, former Buckeye Marcus Hooker had some notable tackles, I mean, that you could audibly hear. Yeah, uh, yep. You know, so he, you know, he played well. Speaking of uh, homecoming, not that he had, much of a career at Ohio state. Um, there's a wide receiver from Western Kentucky for Western Kentucky blue Smith, who mm-hmm. he started at Ohio state in 2018. He spent the majority of his career at Cincinnati, but he's now on the Hilltoppers squad. So we'll see if he does anything against Ohio state on Saturday. Yeah. And I, it was interesting too, to see the nephew of former Ohio state quarterback, Mike Tomzak catching passes against Ohio state. I didn't even realize uh, that he was, he was there uh, until we started preparing for that game. And um, I always feel bad that these guys don't come to Ohio State. But of course, if he's at Youngstown State, he wasn't on the radar at Ohio State. Right. I mean, it. it's, you know, we're in the, we're in the era of limited scholarships. You yep. know, back in the day with, with Woody Hayes, uh, you, you know, there were, there were no scholarship limitations. Um, yeah. And it's unfortunate that, there are a lot of talented players in the state of Ohio who who grow up Ohio State fans who never get a look from Ohio State. I'm happy to see them continuing their their football careers at other schools like in the MAC or at Youngstown State. Yeah, and a big moment for him getting to catch passes in uh, in a game in Ohio Stadium. So um, uh, and it's the same thing with the you know Jim Lachey's kids going to Iowa. It's like I just want those guys. They're family. They should be here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, Chip, anything else on your mind? Or are we, uh, we good to go here? We are good to go. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Silver Bullets podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of us, ask us questions, please do so at silverbulletspod at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'll read it on the uh, the next show and we'll answer it. Uh, or just tell us what's on your mind. Tell us where you're, uh, where you're listening from. We'd also love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcast or if you don't feel we're worth five stars, give us however many, uh, because we'll still benefit from you interacting with the show, giving it a rating and review helps us. It costs you nothing. It takes only seconds out of your day. So we would really appreciate that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at silver bullets pod. Although the E is not, not in the silver bullets pod. It's S I L V R B U L L E T S P O D. So there is an E, but not in the silver part. It's only an E in the bullets part, silver bullets pod without the E and silver uh, is our Twitter chip. Where can people find you online? 
I can be found on Twitter at Chipminick. Last name is spelled M-I-N-N-I-C-H. And I'm a contributor to Land Grant Holy Land. Look for an article with three things to watch uh, from Western Kentucky uh, dropping sometime on Friday, as well as a, a post-game analysis of what I saw in the game um, between Ohio State and Western Kentucky. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Mike36Fan. Uh, you can read my stuff at Land Grant Holy Land, especially on Mondays where the grumpy old Buckeye column drops just before lunchtime on Mondays and uh, is me griping about all the things that bothered me during the game, uh, commiserating with you all, as it were. And uh, of course, Monday, um, you will have found my grumpy old Buckeye column on the Youngstown State game. So we'll have one next week for Western Kentucky. And I'm a little bit already aggravated. It's not something that'll go in the column, but I'm a little aggravated because of the time of this game and some of my other commitments that I have are going to clash. So I will probably only get to watch the first half of the game, then go do something else for a while and come back and watch the second half of the game. So uh, that's always a bother for me. I like an uninterrupted three and a half hours or whatever it is to sit and watch the Buckeyes. I agree completely. All right. We'll be back next week. That's it. The only thing left for us to do is what we always say at the end, which is to say, go Bucks. Go Bucks.